Well, the party have had an opinion poll done. It seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. Well, I have another opinion poll done showing the voters are against bringing back national service. <laughs> we can't be for it. Oh, against. of course they can, Bernard. Have you ever been surveyed? Yes. Well, not me, actually. My house. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> well, Bernard, you know what happens. Nice young lady comes up to you. Obviously, you want to create a good impression. You don't want to look a fool, do you? <laughs> no. No. So she starts asking you some questions. Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the number of young people without jobs? Yes. Are you worried about the rise in crime among teenagers? Yes. Do you think there's a lack of discipline in our comprehensive schools? Yes. Do you think young people welcome some authority and leadership in their lives? Yes. Do you think they respond to a challenge? Yes. Would you be in favour of reintroducing national service? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I might. Yes or no? Yes. Of course you would, Bernard. After all you've told you, you can't say no to that. <laughs> so, they don't mention the first five questions and they publish the last one. Is that really what they do? Well, not the reputable ones, no, but there aren't many of those. <laughs> so, alternatively, the young lady can get the opposite result. How? Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the danger of war? Yes. Are you worried about the growth of armaments? Yes. Do you think there's a danger in giving young people guns and teaching them how to kill? Yes. Do you think it's wrong to force people to take up arms against their will? Yes. Would you oppose the reintroduction of national service? Yes. <laughs> there you are, you see, Bernard. The perfect balance sum. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. So you can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps for the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be covering a bunch of Bitcoin news. Uh, it's a bit about adoption and uh, BACT, which is coming from Intercontinental Exchange, which is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. We're going to be looking at a, bit of, a fair bit of news coming out of Microsoft oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, there's some interesting Starbucks stuff in there. And also some meatless burgers from KFC and uh, a bit of space news. In our privacy and security segment, we are going to look at the private voice chat program called Mumble. So, what have you been up to recently, mate? I have been supremely productive. I bought an electric bike. So, uh, so I used to take a bus to work, which was real frustrating because it took 45-odd minutes to get to work, which should be like a seven-minute drive. But right. what I did, bought an electric bike, and now it takes about 15 minutes to get to work, um, and it's super powerful. Cool. So when you say electric bike, do you mean like a bicycle with a motor on it? Yeah. So it's like pedal assist. So it's got like a big Panasonic battery in it and it can apparently go for 50 kilometers on that battery and you can set the levels of pedal assist. So on the way to work, I'll set it on maximum. So I don't really sweat that much. I just sort of move my feet around in a circle and it just sort of rockets around. And um, on the way home, I put in a bit more effort so I don't mind sweating. So yeah, that's cool. cool. Very excited by that. Yeah, I've also been reading a book on social engineering, the art of human hacking, 
which is following episode 42, but that's a really interesting book. So I got that as a gift and it is awesome. And I've also been doing a bunch of like long overdue cleaning and washing and housework stuff. So yeah, what, what about yourself? Um, so yeah, I've just been busy uh, being a lawyer. Uh, I've been doing my tax as well. Oh, yeah. There's been a bunch of stuff uh, involved in that, particularly trying to work out all the crypto gains and losses and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Also preparing for impending fatherhood, mate. So, oh, yeah. so, so baby expected at any time? Yeah, any time. Um, it could be during this podcast episode for wow. all I know. So. so would I just finish it by myself? I guess you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to hold down the fort or maybe we could do like a live check-in with you know, how things are progressing <laughs> during the podcast episode. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, tying in with that too, we've um, this is our first episode where we've both been in the same country but not recording face-to-face. Yeah, because I think we've done some Skype ones previously, but this is... This is the first time we've actually, yeah, been in separate places. We're trying to, we're messing around with Mumble, which I think we're going to be talking about later. But um, yeah, just trying to get the audio so that we can record our podcast without having to necessarily be in the same room with me passing germs to your baby. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, just been experimenting with that a bit and that's pretty much it. Cool, cool. So is this podcast investment or any other type of advice? That's a great question. And I'm going to say no, this is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. Yeah, so full disclosure, we're both personally invested in a number of different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. So this episode, we're giving away a coin storage guru card. Yeah, so no one, thankfully, was able to discover both of our first middle and last names. So we're safe on that one. So this this week, we thought we would give away another one, but perhaps make it a little bit easier than the previous challenge we set. So this episode, we're giving away this coin storage guru safe words kit. So safe words is a safe, low-cost way of backing up your crypto wallet. So... Yeah, you follow the instructions, but it's three cards that are on there and you can write down your, your seed key for any wallet that has an 8, 12, 18, 24 or 25 word mnemonic seed. So what you do is you write two thirds of that on three different cards and essentially with any two cards, you can fully put together your seed, but with any one card, you can't do that. So it's a really good way to spread your risk out and make sure that you don't have your entire mnemonic phrase or your seed phrase there for your crypto in any one place. And that seed phrase essentially is what gives you access to the wallet, what helps you back up the wallet. So if you are holding cryptocurrency, it's really important to keep that as safe as you possibly can. And that's what this is designed to do. So you can leave one with yourself, maybe one with your best friend and one with your accountant or your lawyer or something. And that way, no one who gets any one of those cards will be able to access your funds But if you can get two of them, then you'll be able to get into your wallet. Yeah. So this week's challenge for this giveaway is if you can name how many episodes Jordan Cronier, who's a guest on our show, has had a close escape live on the show, let us know. And you have won the Coin Storage Guru Safe Words Kit. Now we have one to give away. Yeah. So first in, first served. 
If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. So if you're hearing a lot about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain, all that kind of stuff, which we do talk about a lot on this show, that's the best place to go because unfortunately we don't have the time every episode to explain it. We will try where we can to explain the newer concepts, but for the basic grounding, that's a good place to go. This week, we got a bunch of news that's going on, loads of crypto news. I mean, plenty of talk has been there about the price, and we're not really going to talk about that. But there's been a bit of a pump recently, and there's been a raft of news that are related to it. So the first bit of news is that 11% of Americans own Bitcoin and major awareness has increased since 2017. Yeah, so this is coming from a survey published by Spencer Boggart of the venture capital firm Blockchain Capital on April 30th. They looked at the percentage of people who had heard of Bitcoin. Now, in autumn of 2017, it was only 77% of people had heard, but spring of 2019, 89% of people had heard. So that's like what? It's kind of like from three quarters to... Nine tenths, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the likelihood of actually buying Bitcoin has increased from 19% likelihood to 27% likelihood in that same time period. Yeah, and they even went further in the survey. They looked at what would people prefer between traditional investments and Bitcoin. And so, for example... In 2017, 18% of people would prefer Bitcoin to government bonds, 21% in spring 2019. And similar with stocks, similar with real estate, and interestingly, gold has gone up from 8% to 12% as well. So it seems like across the board, people's preference for Bitcoin and comfortableness, if that's a word, with Bitcoin is increasing as time goes on. Yeah, and interestingly, they made some notes about different age ranges, but they found that while only 37% of people under 35 are invested in the stock market, the data points that 20% of those in the same group own Bitcoin, which is pretty surprising. It seems to be a general trend with the younger ages, and you can see this on some of the other graphs too, that the younger people are, the more like to purchase Bitcoin. And it seems to be increasing in those age groups and there doesn't seem to be as much of a willingness to jump into the stock market for those age groups as opposed to crypto. So it's really encouraging and I guess it's to be expected. I mean, Bitcoin, it's a new innovation. It makes sense that older people probably aren't into it as much as the younger people, but yeah, really interesting study. So we'll keep an eye out for the next one as well and check in on that when the time comes. So next up, the Binance CEO says that crypto is set to overtake internet. So um, Changpeng Zhao, who's a Chinese-Canadian businessman, he's worth about $1.2 billion US dollars uh, in 2019, apparently. That's according to a Google search I ran. But yeah, he runs Binance, which is the world's largest exchange. And he tweeted the other, uh, the other day saying, in a few years, there'll be more users in crypto than there are users for internet today. Yeah, which is a big statement, um, considering that internet has reached a pretty good penetration. Um, and there were some replies to that. Some people thought that was quite likely. Other people kind of said, oh, come on, mate, are you serious? Yeah. Um, but you've got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because uh, CZ does run the largest exchange in the world at the mm. moment. So he's uh, understandably bullish because that helps his business. But it's a cool statement to see. And I think it's mirrored in a lot of areas in the industry as well. And you've just got to look at the adoption rates in the emerging economies to see that there is a lot of appetite for Bitcoin and things like it in places where, yeah, there may not be that much internet penetration. 
he's talking about like large numbers of people getting on board here. But how would we make sure that this sort of decentralized connectivity, how would that be possible? Well, one answer that's that's kind of come about in the last few years is looking at mesh networks and also satellites. So the a mesh network is essentially something which allows you to dynamically connect to other devices in your vicinity and you don't necessarily require servers. So with our current internet infrastructure, we connect to servers and that's how we get all the information from the internet. We mm-hmm. take it from static servers located you know, somewhere in a nearby city or something like that. A mesh network, essentially all you need is two devices and then the more devices that are in the vicinity and connect on the network, the bigger the network grows, but there's no real single routing point. Everything routes through everything else. Mm -hmm. So there are some similar networks that are like that already, but there has been one problem that could potentially come up with that. So if you're connecting just to nearby devices and then you're helping spread their packets or information from them to other devices, the question arises, how would you route messages through sparsely populated areas or over high mountains or across oceans? Because it could be a real problem if there's no sort of bunch of mesh devices that are floating on the ocean. There's one potential solution, which is having gateways that connect different decentralized networks. For example, you could have a local mesh network in a town and everyone, let's say, could be connected to that mesh network and connected to each other. But then getting that mesh network to another town is going to be quite difficult. So there are potentially other ways you could do that. So you could, say, connect to a satellite and have the two towns that are near each other both connect to that satellite and essentially beam down the connection into a couple of the nodes in those mesh networks and have everyone else connect off them. Another way is to do that with phone antennas and things like that as well, or the long-range radios. There's a number of different solutions that have been proposed for connecting these localised mesh networks. Interestingly, Blockstream and Gotenna announced a project that provided a pretty cool demonstration of how a gateway could leverage the benefits of connecting those different networks. So this project integrates a Gotenna mesh device with an off-grid Bitcoin full node, which is connected to the Blockstream Blocksat satellite systems. What this means is that users will be able to receive blockchain data to confirm transactions via a satellite and then send new signed Bitcoin transactions via the mesh network without ever having a direct internet connection, which is a really big deal because we're seeing that a number of nations are starting to talk about censoring cryptocurrency. We saw, I think we covered India a couple of weeks ago, which has a very, very, very large emerging population that are unbanked. And even the US, just recently, one of the senators was calling for um, a complete ban on cryptocurrencies as well. So there's this real concern that there may be areas in the world that are either censored or so remote that they can't get access to this global financial network because they can't get access to internet. But if you can beam something to space and then share it via your phone to everyone else with a phone or something similar or a Raspberry Pi or whatever, then you don't need to worry about censorship at all and you don't need to worry about having internet at all, which Mm. is a big deal. Mm. So interestingly, with this same sort of mesh system, the new version of this this software that I believe it's called Textena Python. So this sort of script that works on top of this Gotenna mesh radio 
This also relays API data received from those Blockstream satellites to nearby mesh nodes. So with this API, anyone with an internet connection could anonymously send encrypted messages via satellite to receivers almost anywhere on Earth, all paid for by confidential micropayments using the using the lightning network that's a massive deal because as we know china are, are a big one that have that have struggles with uh pretty hard censorship and unable to get to to different websites and send messages over different services but if someone can connect to a satellite that's really all you need it's basically a potentially a way to completely circumvent censorship mm. Mm. So-, so it's all quite theor- theoretical at the moment I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, some interesting technical information in that link, so yeah, do check it out. Next up, the New York Stock Exchange owner is apparently ice cool with the crypto winter as profits climb. Yes, the collapsing value of cryptocurrencies came at an opportune time for Intercontinental Exchange Incorporated, allowing the exchange operator to buy assets at a discount for its long-awaited crypto trading platform affiliate backed, the head of the company said on Thursday. He said that it's been really helpful. The cryptocurrency industry sort of went through what they call a winter. So, yeah, they actually been making some pretty big purchases on that. And not only that, they've been scooping up talent and building out backs, including through acquisitions. So they actually, Intercontinental Exchange also said on Monday that they bought the crypto custody firm Digital Asset Custody for an undisclosed amount. Do you think there's a big future for that kind of stuff? Because we've had this debate before, but the fact that at the moment, if you want to get into crypto, I mean, we tried to onboard someone a couple of nights ago and it was funny having to explain public and private keys and two-factor authentication and all that kind of stuff. But there may be some real value in having a custody uh, provider, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, it's the main thing that comes into it is trust here. So, I mean, arguably very few have such a reputation as someone like Intercontinental Exchange. I mean, it's very regulated. It's very official. They've got a very good brand name. So trust is pretty key, especially when it comes to significant amounts of money and you want to be sure that it's safe. Does make sense. I mean, we saw that Fidelity were doing something in that as well. They're doing stuff on digital asset custody. Yeah, and if you run a Google search for digital asset custody, then Fidelity Digital Assets is actually one of the top ranked there. Yeah, because I guess if you're getting into it as more of an investment and less about a payment method, you don't actually want to take the risk of having the wallet and holding your own private keys when Mm. you're used to having someone else take custody of your investments for you Mm. and just Mm. guarantee that they're going to keep the custody safe and, and hold all the title on your behalf. Interestingly, when you look at Fidelity's digital asset solution, the way they're marketing it is their headlines are institutional grade security, where they talk about physical, cyber and operational controls, multi-level safeguards. But then they say enterprise scale, professional custody services, 70 plus years of financial experience, tested institutional capabilities. And then they have client service, dedicated team, 24-7 availability, la, la, la. But that's really something that these big players have. The new guys certainly don't. Mm, Yeah, very true. So I can see why they're purchasing it. I guess it just remains to be seen who ends up being the dominant digital custody platform or whether it just gets built into each of these exchanges. So next bit of news, there's a $1 million Bitcoin scavenger hunt, which is attracting over 60,000 digital sleuths. Well, this is actually shared in the Telegram group by Joe. Um, she shared the link and was talking about 
there being quite a few people are actually involved in different teams here. According to Satoshi's treasurer, co-creator Eric Meltzner of Primitive Ventures, so far nearly 60,000 people have signed up for notifications in relation to this scavenger hunt. And on Saturday, Meltzner and the team revealed yet another clue, a series of cryptic images and other hints hidden on business cards distributed at an event. And what he said exclusively to Coindesk, he actually said that a group of veteran crypto investors have actually pledged an undisclosed amount to fund future games and campaigns just like this uh it's all about that yeah pure joy of the treasure hunt he said it's global anyone can participate and um yeah check out the link in the show note to get involved in the challenges it's so cool mate i mean if you've ever read ready player one or watched i think they brought out a movie a while ago that's basically the premise of the book is that set a fair bit further in the future but there's a big fortune and it's basically like a pop culture quiz global treasure hunt kind of deal where there's easter eggs lying around so it looks so cool looks like a bunch of fun Next bit of news, crypto hacks are on track to eclipse $1 billion in lost funds this year. So CypherTrace, which is a crypto security and intelligence firm, they published their Q1 2019 currency and anti-money laundering report, and they revealed that exchange platforms all over the world have lost nearly $400 million as a result of hacks and thefts. Paints a particularly bleak picture of asset security, revealing that in 2019 so far, thefts incurred as a result of crypto hacks amounted to $356 million. And they actually believe the number could very well hit $1.2 billion by the end of the year at its current pace. As if on cue, uh, not a couple of days later, but hackers actually stole $40.7 million in Bitcoin from the crypto exchange Binance. This was a massive, massive breach. They lost about 7,000 Bitcoin and Binance called it a large scale security breach and they've actually been on complete trading halt, I think, since then. It's been about a week since they've stopped crypto trading. So yeah, the malicious actors were able to access user API keys, two-factor authentication codes and potentially other information. And as a result, they were able to steal the Bitcoin. So it's a pretty big deal and a, I think it was all from their hot wallet too. So that wasn't it. Luckily, they didn't get anything that was in cold storage, but that's still a lot of money to have in your hot wallet. Yikes. So uh, yeah, pretty scary stuff. Yeah, either way, funds aren't safe unless you fully control them. And even then, you should probably get some kind of digital custody service. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're insured, but who knows what's going to happen there. Things like that, these hacks will actually end up selling these big institutional tools. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, yeah, look, I think that may be what they market some of this on. I don't know how much longer we're going to have these upside exchanges being the main way to deal with digital assets. You may find that the big guys gradually subsume them as, I don't know, maybe they'll be the only ones that are actually able to stand up to the hacking and I guess outfund it. Maybe that will be the place of the banks. You never know. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Let's see. <laughs> Next up, Starbucks are looking to track coffee using Microsoft's blockchain service. So Starbucks is moving to give consumers more information on its coffee products using a blockchain system that will track beans from farm to cup. And it sounds quite similar to the IBM Food Trust we covered mm. a fair few episodes ago. They're going to be using um, Azure's blockchain service in tracking coffee shipments from across the world, bringing digital real-time traceability 
to their supply chains. That's according to Microsoft's announcement. Yeah, and look, Microsoft have been in blockchain for quite a long time now. They've had their blockchain workbench since I think about 2015, and it seems like they're beginning to sign a number of bigger partnerships. And so they've said that it'll essentially give people a more complete view of the supply chain. Starbucks, at least, are going to use that information to bring a new feature to their mobile app. So it will give customers details on where the coffee was sourced and roasted as well as tasting notes. And they're also hoping that the blockchain system can help benefit the growers too by providing them with data like where their beans actually end up in consumers' cups. So give them some traceability from the other end as well. And it's actually a crazy stat. Starbucks reckon that in 2018, they source beans from over 380,000 coffee farms. It's quite topical too because the IBM Food Trust, the reason they started developing that was because there was a disease in some produce that they had and Walmart actually found out that they couldn't work out which of their products had the disease and which didn't because they didn't have enough traceability and visibility into their system. And everyone basically had their own little silo of information. And so that's why they've been developing their blockchain solution. Yeah. So, yeah, they demoed it to shareholders at their annual meeting in March. But um, interestingly, Starbucks are actually working with Buck, too, we mentioned earlier, owned by Intercontinental Exchange. And yeah, so they're working with uh, the backed digital assets and Bitcoin futures platform. And Coffee Company was said last August to be working to develop practical, trusted and regulated applications for customers to convert digital assets into US dollars. So why Starbucks are involved there, who knows, but... Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it seems like they're just trying to get into blockchain. Um, or maybe it's their loyalty scheme or something, potentially. Yeah, that's true. It may be. They've got operations all over the world. So if you were going to run a loyalty scheme and you wanted it to operate all around the world, you could do it that way. Or well, that may actually chime in with our Facebook piece of news just after this next one. But anyway... <laughs> Microsoft has also made some other announcements, and one of the biggest ones was that they've made JP Morgan's Quorum the preferred blockchain software for Azure Cloud. Quorum is JPM's private enterprise version of Ethereum. And yeah, they're going to be supporting that through the Azure Cloud platform. And yeah, looking to support adoption of the network through their partnership. So a spokesperson for JP Morgan said via email that Microsoft will drive preference to the Quorum stack for blockchain applications built on Azure. And they're also going to build their own first party applications for the service. And interestingly, Quorum will be used to support both JP Morgan's and Microsoft blockchain programs, as well as the bank's interbank information network, its internal cryptocurrency, JPM coin, and royalty payments of the Xbox gaming platform. I don't have a lot of experience with Quorum. I've heard mixed reports about it. I think the benefit with Quorum is that it is quite interoperable with Ethereum. So a lot of the private Ethereum stuff that's been developed will talk to Quorum. Right. So I'm not sure. It, it, it may just be that for private Ethereum just doesn't match up to Quorum. And so Microsoft decided that Quorum's better or who knows, there might have been some money exchanged there as well. It's a fair deal because, I mean, the Xbox gaming platform payment points that would be real interesting because I guess they have it on a private blockchain and I guess that's cool to an extent. Um, yeah. Speaking of loyalty points, Facebook's cryptocurrency is rumoured to also work like loyalty points. So, yeah, on Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported new potential details about Facebook's long-awaited crypto plan. They're reportedly seeking dozens of business partners, including online merchants and financial firms, to extend the reach of its blockchain marketplace. So Facebook's would-be partners are being asked to pitch into an investment fund valued at $1 billion or more. 
that would serve as a backing for Facebook's coin and mitigate the wild speculative swings that make cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin hard to spend. The pitch actually involves offering merchants lower fees than credit cards. Which is a fair selling point. But yeah, interestingly, WhatsApp appears to sit at the center of their commerce stuff. Because I mean, Facebook said that WhatsApp Pay is currently on limited trial in India, and they would actually expand to additional unnamed countries later this year. And while it's not blockchain based for now, it's designed for peer-to-peer payments. And with 80% of small businesses in India using WhatsApp to market their goods, some form of payment processing does make sense as the next step. So do you think that, because last week we covered the fact that India were trying to ban all cryptocurrencies within the country. Hmm. Do you think that there's any chance that maybe India have been talking to Zuckerberg and there's maybe some talks going on about banning all the cryptocurrencies but Facebook or WhatsApp pay? It's interesting that you say that, but I mean, Zuckerberg has met with Modi before and... um Oh, I don't know. That's an it interesting It just seems question. interesting, doesn't it? Because last week sounded more like it was just a blanket ban from India because they just don't like anything threatening the Federal Reserve. But if WhatsApp pays on trial in India and the plan is to use that as a gateway and lots of merchants are adopting it, I mean, if you have 80% of small businesses as your market share and you've got a lot of money and India's government is notoriously... Uh, how would you say it, liable for influence in return for certain sums of money. <laughs> it just looks a little bit suspicious. Hey, I couldn't even comment on that, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> mate, you make a very interesting point. What I would say is in this same story is that an added twist from their report is the possibility that the coin would be integrated with Facebook's ads ecosystem. So Mm. apparently it's still under debate within Facebook, but it would potentially work on both sides. So merchants could use the coins to pay for ads and users would be recorded in coins for viewing or interacting with them. We've heard this before, haven't we? Somewhere else. Where where was it? I believe you're talking about the Brave browser, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't use Brave and you do use Chrome, it's really easy to switch from Chrome to Brave. Brave browser is based on Google Chrome, but they try and remove as many of Google's backdoors as possible. And they have ad blockers built in by default. It's on mobile as well as desktop. And you actually get rewarded for clicking on ads. Well, you will when that gets released. Basically, with Brave, you can opt in to a program which lets it shows ads and the ads have to comply to certain standards. And then whenever you see them and give them your attention, you get rewarded with their token. So speaking of Brave, we actually have a new way to support the show. Yeah, if you switch from Chrome to the Brave browser, which is better, faster, and has ad blocking built in as standard, you can use it on your desktop or mobile. If you sign up with our Brave link, they will make a donation to the FOMO show on your behalf. And you'll be supporting the show. So next bit of news, you can cash out at the world's first quote-unquote Bitcoin city where cash is banned. They hope to attract 3 million crypto tourists a year. So what is this Bitcoin city, Joe? Yeah, so a city is being built in Malaysia in which tourists will only be able to use cryptocurrency. This development that's backed by the Chinese government intends to turn 835 acres of the Malaysian city of Malacca into the tourist blockchain destination of the future. Mm, So the area will be called Malacca Strait City and... It sits on the, uh, I guess, the southwestern coast of Malaysia, on the Straits of Malacca. 
Yeah, just and, south uh, of Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, so not not too far from the capital city. So um, visitors will have to know how to use blockchain technology, apparently, in the form of, you guessed it, DMI coin, if they wish to pay for any public services during their stay. So an official representative of Malacca Strait City said that the blockchain technology that visitors use will be that DMI platform with a DMI coin. So who are DMI? DMI is a company that provides mobile enterprise, business intelligence, and cybersecurity services and has collaborated with the Malacca Strait City on the project. Visitors will be able to exchange normal money for DMI coins when they arrive in the city. Now, we could tell you what we think of this. But we actually had a call earlier from illustrious reporter Jordan Cronier. It appears that he is now the official spokesman for Malacca Strait City, and he's done them up a bit of an advertisement. So we thought we might just play the advertisement for you. Are you tired of fiat money? Are you fed up with exchanging funds everywhere you travel? Sick of having banks own you? Well, lucky for you, there's a place where you can get away from all of that, huh? Welcome to Malaysia, where we love crypto and everything it stands for. That's why you can come visit and tour our lovely crypto cities. Each city has its own unique cryptocurrency, which is the only one that you can use within its boundaries when you arrive. You'll be greeted with our revolutionary central reserve kiosks, letting you change all your corrupt, limited bank money into that city's cutting-edge cryptocurrency. And simply tell us how much you want to write down your 50-digit public and private key, and you're good to go, minus the 5% exchange fee, of course. Run out of cryptocurrency? No worries at all. Just travel back to the Central Reserve kiosk and buy some more. We've improved on much of the ideas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others that we've decided not to allow any of these old cryptocurrencies within our cities. And the best thing about our incredible new system is that each currency is a closed ecosystem, meaning that when you reach your next city, you don't have to worry about exchanging it for another because they won't let you, huh? <laughs> so instead, you'll have to exchange your bank money from another wallet and private keys. We're so proud of how different this is to the legacy banking system, and we hope you are too. So, come visit our crypto cities today. Don't forget to plan ahead and work out which cryptocurrencies you'll need for the cities. Malaysia, missing the point since 2019, huh? There is some good news. So, there's a bit more competition between the crypto markets and the old traditional financial systems. SWIFT, the international financial transaction network, they've launched a new investigation and resolution service. Yeah, so SWIFT announced the launch of an in-flight payment investigation and resolution service available in the cloud in a significant expansion of its apparently network-wide payments validation toolkit. This new capability allows for dynamic query handling between banks on the network, enabling them to quickly resolve instances in which required operational regulatory compliance information or whatever is incorrect or missing. It's basically helping SWIFT to flesh out its international offerings because up until probably five years ago, SWIFT was very complicated, but it wasn't that robust. So they didn't really have much need for innovation. But now with crypto coming in and even, I guess, companies like Ripple essentially saying we're going to be the payment layer for banks, SWIFT seems to really be getting on their horse now and trying to come up with a number of ways they can differentiate themselves and keep their market share. Their head of banking, Harry Newman, he said, in our drive towards frictionless payments, we're working together a lot to bring this netwide thing to ensure a smooth payments process. It's been a constant bugbear of many banks that whilst the minority of payments are held up by these errors, they're frustrating, time-consuming and costly. So ultimately, all 10,000 banks on the network will be able to use these tools. So basically, old money 
money, we'll try and have fewer problems. I mean, look, there is good progress being made in a number of areas with banks. I mean, I've recently been using the PayID service, which I think is run by OSCO here in Australia. Have you used that at all, Joe, the PayID stuff? I have not, but I think I've paid two PayIDs, but I don't have my own PayID. Yeah, it is really quick. Like, essentially, they've just created mm-hmm. another payment layer, almost like a PayPal, I guess, that mm-hmm. works directly with the banks. But you can send money from one bank account to another bank account or another bank using the PayID and it'll be there in one or two seconds. It's really quick. Mm, mm. I guess that sort of wraps it up for our finance news, but we've got some other really cool pieces that are coming in. Burger King is going to be selling meatless Whoppers across the United States this year. So on April 1st, Burger King announced its plans to begin selling these meatless Whoppers in St. Louis in America. And first of all, it kind of seemed like it was an April Fool's Day prank, but it was actually just a coincidence that it came in on that day. They will really be selling meatless Whoppers in the US. They are planning to test Whoppers containing these plant-based patties created by Impossible Foods in additional markets with the goal of a nationwide rollout before the end of 2019. So that could actually bring meatless meat to mainstream America. Yeah, and the tech's been under development for quite a while, but it does seem like it is starting to emerge in a number of mainstream areas now. And reports seem to be saying that it's not too different in taste to real meat. Yeah, well, do you know what? Interestingly, uh, this meatless Whopper thing aside, they've got this vegan Whopper in uh, Australia at Hungry Jack's, which is the Burger King brand in Australia. And I've heard people say that they've tried it and it was incredibly delicious. So, really? I mean, even these ones are apparently really, really good. So, hmm. Yeah, I wonder, because the big issue with most meat patties, obviously, is that they're quite processed mm-hmm. and sometimes put a whole bunch of other stuff in there. It's not just meat. I wonder how these meatless meat patties are made. Like, I wonder if they're processed to the same extent. I wonder if they're adding additives or whether it is all just vat-grown natural, I guess, ingredients. I'm, I'm not even really sure what's in them. Well, that's you and me both, mate. <laughs> but look, meatless meat is coming, I guess, to a vat near you. <laughs> Uh, positive. All right, next one. Amazon says that they could have fully automated warehouses in 10 years. So not all of the 125,000 people who work at Amazon warehouses have to worry about losing their jobs to robots, at least for not 10 years or so, because... Scott Anderson, who's the director of Amazon's Robotics Fulfillment Division, has said that it would be at least 10 years before Amazon could entirely automate the fulfillment process. Yeah, so he said in the current form, the tech's pretty limited and it's far from the fully automated workstation that we would want. So sadly, according to them, I think, the problem with the bots is that they simply aren't as adept as humans at the actual process of picking up merchandise. They either damage the products when trying to snag one of them out of a bin or they only pick up one piece of merch when it might be more efficient to grab several. Training these robots to handle and pack fresh food, the Amazon warehouses, because they do a lot of fresh food stuff in the US, it's pretty challenging. They said, just imagine if you want bananas. Reuters quoted him as saying, oh, sorry, they quoted the global director of environment, health and safety. He said, I want my bananas to be firm. Others like their bananas to be ripe. How do you get a robot to choose that? Still, while robots may not be able to pick the perfect produce. The systems are getting more and more advanced. And so it does 
almost seem like his prediction of 10 years might be a little bit on the conservative side. I mean, particularly when you look at some of the Boston Dynamics stuff and you see what they're doing, you, know, you could potentially see a lot of this happening in, in the next few years. Mm. On the topic of future innovation and getting closer and closer to automating things, Tesla has warned of upcoming global shortages in battery minerals. That's according to sources at a closed-door mining conference in Washington in the United States. So two unnamed sources at the event told Reuters that Tesla Global Supply Managers for Battery Metals, Sarah Marisale, forecasted looming supply challenges for the metal components to make EV batteries, including nickel, copper, lithium and cobalt. Um, yeah. She also reportedly said prices for those key metals could increase exponentially as a consequence of supply constraints. Other car companies are having the same sort of problem, and they're saying that it's not like a, a short-term thing, but it's going to be more of a long-term thing. But, I mean, there are some metals that are worth pointing out. Copper, so there's an undersupply of copper at the moment. Electric cars actually use twice as much as internal combustion engines, and Devices like Amazon's Alexa and Alphabet's Nest thermostat will apparently consume about 1.5 million tons of copper by 2030 compared to 38,000 tons today. Wow. There's going to be more demand for that, so people are going to be ramping up production. Yeah, because copper is not normally something you think is like a, a rare resource that is going to be hard to get, do you? Mm, no, not really. Another one's cobalt. Uh, cobalt mostly occurs in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They're famously known for their child labour practices. But Tesla's preferred battery technology is nickel cobalt aluminium, which already uses less than 3% cobalt. But, yeah, there's a number of different companies around the world who are using cobalt in their technology, whether it's Samsung or other places. But I think it was Samsung that actually said that they want to be recycling cobalt from existing batteries because they don't want to be putting that pressure on themselves for investing in the DRC. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. it's not a good look for countries, is it, when a lot of the methods that the DRC use aren't really that ethical to get all of this stuff. Mm. Um, uh, so in December, Australia signed a preliminary deal with the US to support joint research and development of minerals deemed critical to the US economy. And uh, that's because there's a number of mines in Australia which have some very, very valuable minerals, uh, particularly to the US. Mm. So the Australian Resources Minister said at the time of signing that Australia wanted to supply more minerals to the US in the wake of that agreement. So he said that for 14 of those 35 critical minerals, we're actually in the top five of world reserves. So Australia is going to be focusing on them at least. The problem is, of course, you've got to drive like five days out into the desert to find most of these minerals. But I guess <laughs> if you're prepared to go out there and get them... <laughs> But yeah, um, interesting stuff on metals. So yeah, I have no idea about the mining sector. So I've never even thought about investing in it. But I've heard some people talking about some of these new mining companies because there, there are a number of new venture companies popping up in Australia mm -hmm. with some pretty decent funding because it's quite hard for a lot of them because it, there's the exploration phase. So you've essentially got to fund a lot of the cost is in the exploration. It's not even in the mining itself. It's Going out there because then you normally got to either buy the land or lease the land from someone and you're never really sure if the deposits are even there or not and then you've got to spend the time mining it and often they'll set up and mine something for a couple of months and then even if there is some there, it may not be anywhere near as much as they thought it would be and they'll have to go somewhere else. So mm. that's why a lot of them seem to be moonshots. People kind mm. of invest in them 
because they're very highly speculative and it's kind of undetermined whether you're actually going to find anything or not. Yeah, it's a tough gig, that money. We should definitely explore it at some point because I, I reckon for our listeners, that list of those critical minerals might be worth looking at because finding people who are doing mining in those minerals would be pretty interesting to, to look into. We don't, at least I don't have a clue, so good luck. <laughs> Next bit of news, swarms of drones piloted by artificial intelligence may soon patrol Europe's borders. So imagine you're hiking through the woods near a border. Suddenly you hear a mechanical buzzing like a gigantic bee. Two quadcopters have spotted you and they swoop in for a closer look. So antennae and both drones and on a nearby autonomous ground vehicle pick up the radio frequencies coming from your mobile phone in your pocket. They send the signals to a central server which triangulates your location and feeds it back to the drones and the robots close in. Cameras and other sensors on the machines recognise you as human and try and ascertain your intentions. Are you a threat? Are you illegally crossing a border? Do you have a gun? Are you engaging in acts of terrorism or organised crime? The machines send video feeds to their human operator, a border guard in an office miles away, who checks the videos and decides that you're not a risk. The border guard pushes the button and the robots disengage and continue on their patrol. That's not science fiction. So the EU is financing a project to develop drones piloted by artificial intelligence and designed to autonomously patrol Europe's borders. So they're going to operate in swarms, coordinating and corroborating information among fleets of quadcopters, small fixed-wing airplanes, ground vehicles, submarines and boats. Developers of projects, uh, and this won't give you shivers on your spine, that the project is known as Robe Order or Reborder, says the robots will be able to identify humans and independently decide whether they represent a threat. If they determine that you've committed a crime, they will notify border police. Now, excuse us for getting a little bit on the sort of sentimental side here, but um, according to Noel Sharkey, Emeritus Professor of Robotics and AI at Sheffield University in the UK, he said that the development of these systems is a dark step into morally dangerous territory. He listed some examples of weaponized drones that are currently on the market, so flying robots equipped with tasers, pepper spray, which is a chemical weapon, rubber bullets and other weapons, and he warned that the implications of combining that with AI based decision making is only a matter of time until that gets used against people yeah and the technology is cool in a sense that they're developing technology that can automatically file these drones and identify different things but it gets yeah you're getting into skynet territory aren't you like you see between this and watching some of those boston dynamics robots which look like humans and they're like jumping up the crates and holding weapons and doing all different stuff it's AI and robotic-based policing just doesn't seem like it's too far off, does it? Mm. I feel like it's our civic duty to make a sort of a five-minute video where it's split into two, two-and-a-half-minute segments. One is like the dark side of where humanity's going with technology <laughs> and the other's a bright side yeah. because they're, they're so interesting. I mean, when you see robotics and the advances that you could have with automated farming and practices like that, yeah. the tools that can actually provide for society and produce a huge amount of value versus the ones that could it's almost like a yin and yang video of like mm. those two different sides oh, that'd be a cool project to do one day oh man i just like the whole idea of robot police augmented weaponized robots policing a population is just so dystopian but wouldn't it be interesting the fact that you're police officer would at least finally know what the law is. <laughs> Let's go into our space news. 
The ISS, the International Space Station, now has an algae bioreactor generating both oxygen and food. This is so cool. So astronauts are about to start testing out a new device called a photobioreactor, which uses living algae to convert carbon dioxide to breathable oxygen and produces edible food. Yeah, so it arrived at the ISS on Monday and will soon be used um, in concert with another closed-loop life support system that converts carbon dioxide to usable methane and water. And the leftover carbon dioxide will be consumed by the algae, according to Space.com. If all goes well, astronauts on future missions to deep space will get more than a viable source of oxygen. The protein-rich algae could someday make up as much as 30% of an astronaut's diet. Delicious. It's like mm. going to be like the Whopper burger thing. Oh. Interestingly, the German scientist who was leading that project said that we're right at the forefront when it comes to the future of life support systems. And he said, of course, the use of these systems is primarily for planetary base stations or very long missions. But these technologies will not be available when needed if the foundations are not built today. So mm. this is really cool. And it's on the International Space Station now. Yeah. And if you can if you can do it on the International Space Station, you can do it on a long mission. Yeah. It was basically the same. They're both cut off. The only way to get stuff up there is to shoot things up into space. <laughs> Following on from that, Jeff Bezos has actually announced plans to colonize space. Yes, so Jeff Bezos, the guy who runs Amazon, he actually started back in, I think it was 2000, he started Blue Origin, which is a privately funded aerospace manufacturer and suborbital spaceflight services company, according to Wikipedia. And yeah, they've got 1,500 people who work there. Jeff's vision for humanity to colonize space and for civilization to become primarily space-based is to do it through essentially trying to push the industry on so that we can move to space and use the resources of the solar system. And he's doing that, firstly, through the Blue Moon Lunar Lander. Yeah, so this is a large lunar lander capable of delivering multiple metric tons of payload to the lunar surface based on configuration and mission. There's a larger design of the lander that can stretch to carrying 6.5 metric tons. The one that they revealed the other day can carry 3.6 metric tons. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy yeah so they've got the goal of this sounds a little bit funny putting americans on the moon by 2024 with the blue moon lunar lander yeah so that's how many how many so was it 1969 that humanity first landed on the moon that's 55 years later that was yeah 69 you're right yeah that's unreal huh so it's all powered by the be7 engine and it's a new addition to the blue origins family of engines it's got 40 kilonewtons of thrust and it's designed for large lunar payload transport. Now, the engine's propellants are a highly efficient combination of liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen and it will have its first hot fire this summer. They're going to be selling that engine to other companies for use in in-space and lander applications. Yeah, the next piece of news was a Club for the Future, which is a not-for-profit founded by Blue Origin, dedicated to inspiring and engaging the next generation, which is really important when it comes to stuff like space mining, because this is going to take a while to kick mm. off. There's also the new Glenn, which is a heavy lift orbital launch vehicle in development by Blue Origin. And the design and work commenced on that in 2012. And it was initially unveiled in 2016. And it's designed as a two-stage rocket with a diameter of seven metres. Sheesh, that's huge. Is it? Seven metres across. 
compared to SpaceX's heavy one, that's pretty crazy. Isn't it cool that we've got like two very rich people now with two well-funded companies competing against each other? For private I love, space exploration. I love the competition. That's it's great. Just perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they both stand to do very well from that because, I mean, space is going to get real hot in demand. Yeah. If it's not already, I mean, people want to send up satellites, Blockstream send up a satellite. I mean, it's affordable. Yeah. In October of 2018, the Air Force announced that Blue Origin was awarded $500 million for the development of this new Glenn massive rocket as a potential competitor in future contracts. There were plans for first tests to start in 2020. This first stage, which is powered by seven B4 engines, is designed to be reused 25 times and has a seven-meter fairing. That's awesome. Reused 25 times. That's great. And yeah, it'll lift 45 metric tons to lower Earth orbit and 13 metric tons to geosynchronous transfer orbit. That's a lot of algae. Talking about the competition, Elon Musk has shown a stack of 60 Starlink satellites in a SpaceX Falcon 9 that will soon be launched. Yeah, SpaceX will be able to start operating the Starlink network with 800 Starlink satellites, and it would take 14 launches to get over 800 Starlink satellites. So these 60 satellites are prototypes which may not be good enough for commercial for the commercial service. So each Falcon 9 launch will cost SpaceX about 30 to $40 million, and SpaceX charges $50 million for each launch, uh, so they've got the profit margin. Each Starlink satellite will cost about $1 million to launch and likely costs about $1 to $2 million to build. So that's what, about 2 to $3 million per satellite. Well, yeah, Elon Musk tweeted an image of it. It was of the first 60 Starlink satellites loaded into the Falcon fairing. And it is, they look snug as a bug yeah. in a rug, mate. Like, and you can see for scale comparatively what the roads to look like in there when they he flew the car out into space. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? We're so lucky, man. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, this is so good that we've now got two big companies competing with each other for this stuff because mm. that's going to really push things forward. Yeah, that's the news. Cool. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find it at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Oh. So this week in our privacy and security segment, we thought – since we've been experimenting with Mumble ourselves, we'd take the opportunity to highlight it because it is actually a really good little tool for voice chat alternative to something like Discord or Skype or a number of other different mm-hmm. things that you may use because you can self-host it and keep it completely private. Wow. So, I mean, I first heard of this back in the gaming days when I was younger and I, I hadn't actually reheard of it until just today when you mentioned it to me. Yeah, it's been around for a long time and it's an open source project. That's where I came across it too in the gaming days. But look, I was just amazed at how easy it was to set up. So I essentially just jumped on Volta, which is like basically the same thing as DigitalOcean. I started a server for $5 and looked up a guide on how to set up a Mumble server. And it was about, I think, five commands. It was really, really quick. And that's all I needed to do. And it was up and running. And then you just log into it and you've got a self-hosted, password protected, really clear and quite workable voice communications server that you can put like up to 50 to 100 people on a very low 
hosting plan, like a $5 plan. That's pretty crazy. And the kicker is we're actually using it to record this episode. Yeah. So when you get the audio, Joe and I have been talking to each other through Mumble, uh, just on this Mumble server and just recording on our end. So yeah, it's really good. You can also pair it with Riot or Matrix, which we've talked about before, and you've got some really solid, really private and secure voice and messaging service. So yeah, um, check it out. You can find it at mumble.info. So this week, we've got a new guest who's asked to come on the show. Yeah, so he actually dropped us a private message via Telegram. He was—he didn't seem particularly willing to jump into our Telegram channel because he was, I, don't, I think he was a bit suspicious that it was a Russian-owned company who made Telegram. Um, so he sent us a private message and wants to be part of the show. So yeah, he sends us a few different thoughts every now and then and I uh, thought we'd share you this one. His name is Citizen X and he's told us that he's been looking for an outlet where he can get the truth out to the people for a while now. Now, with Dan either in jail or running for president uh, and Jordan basically incommunicado most of the time, we thought it was probably time to start auditioning a few new potential correspondents. So, we've lined up Citizen X, as he calls himself, for a segment on this show. Now, he's insisted that that he doesn't use his real voice uh, or at least alters his voice somewhat. So, we will, I guess, just have to work with what he wants. And yeah, I guess let's just have a chat to him and see what happens. Well, welcome to the show, Citizen X. Uh, it's great to have you on. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? I can't be yeah. here too long, you know? No, no, I, I completely understand Citizen X. And look, I, I, I very much appreciate you taking the time to... Uh, to come on, uh, look, we have we have encrypted some of this, but um, look, I can't give you any guarantees. Yeah, I don't take any guarantees, man. Okay, so uh, what do you want to tell us about this week then, uh, X? I've been thinking about Craig Wright, man. Craig Wright. I've busted his case wide open, man. Okay, so this is uh, Craig Wright, the self-professed He's fake founder. Tashi, man. He's fake Tashi. Fake Okay, well, I mean, why do you say that, Citizen X? I figured it out, man. I've been connecting dots. I'm a dot connector, right? I've seen news. I've seen this. I've seen that. And I discovered he is the system. Craig Wright, he's always talking about government. He's talking about power. He's talking about revolutionizing currency, man. He's talking about global systems. He's talking about global money. And it's crazy, man. What I figured out is that Craig White is the deep state. He is put in there as a player to destroy crypto from the inside out, man. He is the coming dark age. Wow. Okay. Craig Wright is the coming dark age. So was there any anything that gave this away for you, Citizen X? Uh, I mean, was there something that Craig Wright did that kind of tipped you off to this? It's the Court cases, man. If you look at the court cases, they've got, they've got, you know, there's, there's the national security, you know, stuff which they won't talk about to do with the cases. That sets off the red flags, man. The other one is the fact that he loves government, man. You can't, the government can't be trusted, man, and neither can he because he loves government. So he cannot, he is the enemy, man. He is the system. He is what we should fight against, man. Right. Okay. Uh, well, Susan X, thank you uh, so much for your 
um, research. And we look forward to having you on again. What, what, I, I guess we'll have to chat about what you may want to talk about next week. But thank you very much. He is trying to put in global currency, man, and you cannot buy into his bull here. Brilliant. Well, until next week, Citizen X, thank you very much. Know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can join our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. So maybe you as a lawyer might be able to hold a legitimate debate with the officer (laughs) about the intricacies of whether... (laughs) I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) A police officer Uh, that knows the law. (laughs) (laughs) Pull the other one, Joe. We're going to have to cut that because we we definitely have some police police officers who are... We know we've uh, got police officers that listen to the show. (laughs) What happens if I forget to cut that? I'm going to be so upset with myself. I'm so sorry. No one wants to sit around for like an hour waiting for their car to charge every 300 kilometres. If we just use 5G. To charge? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> fry your brain while you're oh, man. <laughs> Space news. Space, 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 Delicious. Oh. And there are so many different types and variations and they're all nuanced and, man. Oh, fungus. Ugh. It's to, mate, you need to, you've clearly never cooked it properly, mate. Oh, uh, yuck. Uh, yuck. There's... <laughs> Look, if all we can eat in space is mushrooms, count me out. <laughs> okay. uh, you're just going to be a land lover, mate. Do you know, I was reading something recently and... <laughs> <laughs> And there's a like a very credible school of scientific thought that anyone who's basically below forty at the moment um, mm. will not will not die unless they die in like an accident mm. or something. Like mm. medical mm. research is moving along that quick, and uh, we're we're like cracking open the genome and you know getting closer to working out what makes us age because our age is essentially artificial. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's built into some part of our genes apparently. Um, and it can be turned off if they can work out how to turn it off. So there's a very real potential that we could all one day go to space, even if it well, takes 500 years. And you can eat your mushrooms up there, mate. Well, by that stage, surely, surely we'll have, maybe we'll have, GM the mushrooms to taste like steak. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. They probably would have. Yeah, maybe we'll have steak algae growing up mm. in, in the ISS. 
and and he actually the reason why he's always talking about how he doesn't mind the state is because he is the state, man. He is the state. <laughs> I love it. Whew. Done. You're done. Oh man, it's different doing it without being in person. Hey? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is, mate. It is because yeah, it's easy to like interrupt and uh, or like not. Yeah, it's just different, mate. You just don't pick up on body language. And, yeah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Man, yeah. I need to get a webcam for myself. Yes, yes. I just hate spending money, man. Oh no, this is man. What, but oh. to be fair, I made two massive purchases recently. One was the electric bike, and the other was actually bought some suit trousers today, man. I spent 120 bucks on trousers. Can you believe it? <laughs> <clears throat> well, we've done bloody well for ourselves, mate. One I hour, think so, man. six minutes of audio.